All right, welcome in. It's week 10. This is the pregame.com dream preview college football edition. I am AJ Hoffman. He is Taylor McCarg, ESPN football analyst. Taylor, how are you, my man? You know, it's the first uh, rankings for the college football rankings. So been better, but they uh, they looked about how I think we all expected. <laughs> I knew you were going to be upset. What you go ahead and give it to me. What what are you upset about, Taylor? It just feels so on brand for how the the committee has voted and and you know, they changed a few things with the criteria, but for the most part, you know, I loved Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the AAC saying, look, this is really just a self-fulfilling prophecy. They rank our teams outside of the top 25 and then turn around and say, we haven't beat any ranked teams. And I think that's exactly what you saw in the the initial rankings here tonight. You have the SEC and you have the Big Ten that dominate most of the rankings. Um, and, and some of them in, in spots that I just don't agree with. And if you, if you scroll through Twitter, and I'm not just talking about fans. I mean, there are a lot of people that I think have voices that I respect and that I would say we probably all as an industry respect and they're unhappy as well. I think Georgia won great, no issues. I think Bama is where just immediately I expected them to be in the top four, but it, it just bothers me that we look past and this is what I mean with the SEC and the Big Ten. But in the SEC, the losses just seem to never really matter for Alabama. It doesn't matter who it is. You're a three-touchdown favorite on the road against a backup quarterback. You lose. And then all of a sudden that becomes, well, A&M's playing better. And so it may, it's not – the excuses start right there. And all of a sudden this doesn't become that bad of a win and it just feels like it's setting up for I know a two loss team hasn't gotten into the playoff yet, but it feel it already feels like it's setting up for if, if Alabama runs the table, they look impressive the rest of the way. They have a big win over Auburn and then they were to lose close against Georgia. It feels like it's setting up for them to be the first two loss team to get in there. I think rounding out the top 10 is really what is most interesting to me in all of this. The fact that they have Oklahoma undefeated out of the Big 12 at eight, I think was a little surprising to me. I thought they would have them ahead of Michigan. I think Wake Forest, that's about right. I, I thought maybe they, again, would be a little bit ahead of, of maybe even Michigan. And then Cincinnati, we've said this all along, Cincinnati's not getting in the Final Four. And I'm sorry to everybody out there. I wish that this weren't the case. I wish they would get a shot. But there are too many people that sit on that committee and too many decision makers for Power 5 schools that also have these major ties to ESPN. There's too much money on the line to have a group of five school get in. And I don't care who the one loss uh, power five conference champion is at the end of the day. That's what I think this will come down to. I don't know which conference it is yet. I don't know if it's the big 10 or if it's the, even the ACC, I'm not really sure yet, but whoever that school is, will go in over, over Cincinnati out of the American for all the reasons I just said. So here's what I think. I think that the Alabama Alabama's the one team on here that it seems like they they treated different than everyone else because they put like putting Ohio State down at number five. That's a smart move. And if Ohio State runs the table, they'll be in because they'll obviously have a win over Michigan State. So it's easy to say, listen, Ohio State, they're going to have to earn their way in. Um, I think. 
doing that with with Michigan makes sense. Okay, they've got a loss, but if they win out, that includes a win over Ohio State, they can still be in consideration. Notre Dame, you know, they, they'd have to do some work. And Notre Dame may be even tougher because uh, of Cincinnati being ahead of them. But you're right about Alabama. It, it like they could have easily put Alabama sixth and said, well, Alabama's on the outside looking in. And if Alabama runs the table and, and beats Georgia, it's easy to say, okay, they're in now. So, but what you're saying is you believe Alabama would have a shot at this thing with two losses. You know, part of it is me being frustrated. I don't actually think, you know, we think back a, a couple of years ago, Penn State is a two loss Big Ten champion, probably deserved to be in, and they did not get in. I don't think, you know, if Oregon wins out as a one loss, if Oklahoma, I heard this, the Bear from ESPN, I was watching towards the end, they had him on, and he brought up a fascinating point, and I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on this, AJ, because it took me by surprise, and then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I actually don't disagree with that. He said, let's assume Alabama loses and they don't make it in. If Cincinnati remains undefeated and OU remains undefeated, he said you'd have Georgia, Oregon, Ohio State, and then Cincinnati with OU, undefeated Big 12 champion OU on the outside looking in, that they would not, the the Big 12 would not have their representation even if they were an undefeated OU team. He thought they would not jump Cincinnati. What do you think? I I completely disagree with him. Uh, And I think that they strategically placed Cincinnati where they did because here's the deal. Cincinnati's remaining schedule is Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, who now has a loss, and East Carolina. I mean, there there are. I mean, SMU is probably the only team out of that group making a bowl game. Oklahoma, and this is the reason why I think they felt comfortable putting them at eight. the The second, third, and fourth place teams in the Big Twelve right now. That's who they play in the next three weeks. Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, those teams are ranked second, third, and fourth in the conference right now, or, or they're in second, third, and fourth in the standings. So every one of those wins, plus a Big 12 championship game, probably against one of those three teams again, is going to be enough to make Oklahoma's resume now look good. Because Oklahoma doesn't have a great non-conference schedule. They, I mean, they, they beat Nebraska, okay. Uh, they, they, they beat Tulane and they, and they played, uh, Western Carolina. Uh, so an, an FCS school. So, but, and the, and the big 12 is down that win over Texas hasn't aged well, especially the fact that it was a, a close win. Uh, the win over Kansas state hasn't even aged all that well. So I think that the, as the committee sees more of Oklahoma, it's going to be easier to say, assuming Oklahoma keeps winning, to say, okay, now they've started to do it. That you win at Baylor, who's like, you know, a top. I think they're what are they twelfth in the uh, in the in the rankings. Twelve. So now you're saying, okay, that's an impressive win. That's the kind of win that Cincinnati won't have access to, especially because SMU lost now. So there's no there's no win like that that's even possible for Cincinnati. So I think Oklahoma undefeated Oklahoma by by the time the whole schedule's played out will be ahead of undefeated Cincinnati in these rankings. Yeah. I also, if you think about who OU still has with Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, and then the Big 12 championship, the first half of their schedule 
they're like you mentioned the Texas when they don't really have the strength of schedule again, the, the playoff committee has always harped on it. And they did again with this first round of the rankings. I think I agree with you, no matter what Cincinnati does, they're going to need help. We knew this all along, but especially with this initial ranking, having them at six, the only thing I will say I tweeted this out earlier today because I was convinced that the, the committee was going to screw this up, but they didn't. So I will give them credit for this. They did have Oregon ahead of Ohio State. And I, I'm happy about that because you and I, we've already talked about this before this year. I think you, you played earlier in the year. Oregon beat you at your place. Then you should be ranked ahead. I know they had a sloppy loss against Stanford, but guess what? That, that head-to-head to me has to mean something. A lot of this will agree. I agree with you. A lot of this will get sorted on its own. We still have we still have Ohio State and Michigan yet to play. We still have Oregon and the remainder of the, the Pac-12 schedule. I believe, I don't have their schedule in front of me, I believe they go to Utah. They do. The second to last game of the year before they play Oregon State. Yep. That's going to be a tough game. I know Oregon, or Utah at 5-3, and three, that's still a good football team. Um, so a lot of this, I think, will get sorted but again, it just jumped out. The, the SEC and the Big Ten continuing to get the benefit of the doubt. UTSA fans that are out there expecting, hey, maybe we sneak them into the top 25. There's a handful, a couple at the back end that I thought maybe they would get ahead of. I'm surprised to see Wisconsin as high as they are. I mean, there's a handful of teams that aren't even ranked that I think probably beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin. So um, overall, you know, I think it's honestly, I think it did what it's designed to do. It's designed to piss people off and have everybody talking about it. And then normally through the rest of the regular season, it it kind of sorts itself out. And with the exception of just one or two cases I can think of, think of off the top of my head, for the most part, we end up with four teams that everybody's like, yeah, that's about right. I, and I think that's what's going to end up happening. And you say the Big Ten is getting the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I think all three of the teams in the in the Big Ten that are in the top ten all deserve to be there right now. But the truth is, by the time they finish this little round robin and Michigan, Michigan State just played, Ohio State's got to play both of them, there's only going to be room for one of those three teams in the top four. And I think that that's about right. Uh, so I, I, the benefit of the doubt to me is, I mean – it's kind of leaving it open, and maybe Michigan shouldn't be in the top ten because they haven't really beat anybody, you know, th- that warrants it. But if Michigan ends up beating Ohio State, then I think you have to have that conversation, um, especially if Ohio State beats Michigan State. So, and it turns into a like a purely like they all three beat each other. I think Michigan would have to be in that conversation then, uh, especially because now Ohio State would have two losses. So, I think the important thing is that all the teams that have a shot to you know to to actually get into this final four are in position to do so if they if they win the rest of their games and the one exception might be Cincinnati Cincinnati could probably win the rest of their games and I still think they won't get in I think Wake Forest is in a similar situation to Oklahoma like you could look at Wake Forest schedule right now and go eh what's their best win at Virginia maybe like it's it's not great certainly uh, but they're the, the meat of their schedule is coming up. And if they win at North Carolina, they beat North Carolina state, they win at Clemson, even a down Clemson. If they go on the road and win at Clemson and then they beat Pitt in an ACC championship game, you're like, I don't care that they're called wake forest. 
you have to say, okay, this team played a, a full ACC schedule and went unbeaten. If it were Clem- like, because if they were Florida State, we'd give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, it, if Florida State or Miami or one of these name brand teams did what Wake Forest is doing, even if they play the exact same schedule, we'd go, well, it's got to be legit. They're Florida State. They're Clemson. Like, so I, I think that Wake Forest even is in a position to do that. I, I think the line is drawn at Notre Dame because Notre Dame would have to. The only way Notre Dame can get in is if Cincinnati loses and um, amongst other things happening because Cincinnati does have that head-to-head win over them. Yeah. Like I said, most of this one through nine, I agree with you, have a path to getting in if they win out with the exception of potentially Cincinnati. And I was just surprised, like I said, to see a couple of these schools out of the SEC and the Big Ten sort of, again, given the benefit of the doubt in, in spots that I don't think they totally, I don't think it totally warranted. I don't think Kentucky is the 18th best team in the country, but. Yeah, but at that point, it, does it really matter? No, it doesn't. But I think the only reason it does potentially matter is it counts against, it's it's what Oresco was saying, they're, the SEC schools, where they're ranked, you could point back to later and say, well, we beat the fill-in-the-blank team in the country and other conferences aren't given that benefit of the doubt. Um, the, the only thing I would add in favor of the Big 12 is I think it does help Oklahoma. Again, that Oklahoma State and Baylor being top 12 teams is huge for them because they get both of them coming up. So if they get through that slate, I think all of a sudden they vault a lot of these teams between them and the Final Four, including a Cincinnati. The more I think about this, having to go through that gauntlet of Baylor – Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and then likely one of those schools again in the Big 12 championship. If they run the table, that, that's enough rank, good quality wins that I think they get in. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, it did what it's designed to do. Every time they have these initial rankings, people freak out. People get super pissed off on Twitter, and it, it creates buzz. And more often than not, it sorts itself out. And I think that's probably what happens again this year. And, and I think the, you know, and th- there is something to like, the truth is if Penn State played Michigan State on a neutral field right now, Penn State would be favored. And Penn State's nowhere to be found in these rankings and Michigan State's third. So, I, I mean, there is, like, you can't say that the wins and losses don't matter because I, like, I don't even think Michigan State's one of the 20 best teams in the country, but because of their resume, I mean, because well, because their resume doesn't have a loss on it, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt until you don't. I, that's where I think the, the committee did a good job of saying, okay, we're gonna these. If you come from this conference and you're still undefeated, and they did the same thing with Wake Forest in Oklahoma, although those are worse conferences, they said this is where you're going to be. But one, like, I got news for you, Michigan State. If they're if they've got one loss, they're they're not. They're, they are not going to be in this playoff with one loss. They, they just won't. So Because either they would have lost to Ohio State and then Ohio State's going in, or they would have lost to a team that they shouldn't have lost to, and that's a good enough reason for them not to go in. So I, I, I get where you're frustrated that it feels like they're trying to set it up where the, the teams that they want in get in. But the truth is the teams that they want in, more often than not, those are the best teams realistically. I think that's that's probably right. Um, I the the rub for me again is the schools that I guess 
to land the plane on this for me, my rub is you give the bottom parts of these conferences and the middle parts of, of the Big Ten and the SEC the benefit of the doubt and count them as better wins than I think they really deserve to be. And then you point back and say, well, they had wins against blah, blah, blah. You look and say, well, th- is that team really any good? I mean, is that win at A&M or is that loss at A&M? Do, is that really even? Are we factoring that in for Alabama? I think that should weigh more than it, that it did. And I agree with you. Michigan State is probably a, a around – you know, 14-15 probably if you really in terms of neutral fields against all of these teams that are ranked. But that's not how we decide things. You have to play the games and the wins and losses do matter. I get it. And but and what I'd say to that Texas A&M thing, Texas A&M is still, from a Vegas standpoint, they're probably a top 10 football team. Like I, there's, there's not more than 10 or 12 teams that would be favored on a neutral against, against A&M. And guess who that includes? Cincinnati. A&M would be a favorite if they played Cincinnati on a neutral field right now. And I know that's not how these rankings are supposed to be decided, I, and they shouldn't be. But I do think at some point when, when you say, if I told you that, you know, there were, if, if I said eight of the top 40 teams in the country like if you if you put them all in like like you actually ranked them on how good they are, not what their resume is, but like who you think would win this team versus this team, I would say probably eight of the top forty teams are from the SEC, and there's something to that. Like if you're beating that schedule, you you kind of warrant something. Like and I could say if you looked at the bottom the bottom twenty five teams in the country, I would guess there's probably seven or eight from Conference USA in that group. So it should be looked at differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. The funniest part of all of this is that Georgia is going to end up winning the national championship and none of this will have mattered. I agree 100%. I think there is a gap between them and the rest. I think if Alabama showed up on the right day or Ohio State showed up on the right day, maybe. I don't even know, like on Oklahoma's best day, if they're beating Georgia. I don't know if Oregon on their best day is beating Georgia. So – I'm with you. I, th- I think that it's it's all for for a lot of nothing, but it is good conversation, certainly. Uh, let's go to some coaching news. And TCU decides to part ways with Gary Patterson, a guy who's done good things there for a long, long time, not doing good things there right now. Are you surprised that they move on from Gary Patterson? No, I think it was time. I think it's similar to what you're seeing with Cutcliffe at Duke. You're, you're at a certain place for long enough and they have the resources now they're in the right conference and it's just not what it was 10 years ago I mean when they were they had Andy Dalton and they're going to the Rose Bowl and the momentum that they had built to that point and even when they first got into the Big 12 the year you know we talk about playoff snubs one of the teams that really you felt like had a, a good shot to get in being TCU I believe that was the first college football playoff whenever the first year of that being implemented. But since then, you know, they're hovering around 500-ish, 7-8 win team uh, at best the past few years with a couple of bright spots and um, not surprised that they moved on from him. A little bit surprised at how bitter it, it sounds like this played out. I know their, their, their AD came out and said they did give him the opportunity to finish out the season and, and he declined. Now, what I don't know is behind closed doors with the early signing day and the Texas Tech job being open, uh, you know, a few hours, a couple hours away. 
I, that's the only piece that you just don't know. And they haven't, Gary Patterson hasn't come out and said anything to this effect, but I do wonder if, if he and that administration obviously knew they were going to part ways. Did he say, you know, I'm not leaving on because this is bad terms. I'm leaving because you guys are going to be screwed if you try to hire against tech in another six weeks once the season's over. So who knows how it all played out behind the scenes. It does sound like he wants to continue coaching, which I think is interesting. I got asked that earlier this week and thought, you know, I could see him being a guy that goes and does studio work and says, you know, he was the, I got to go back and look. I think he was the 10th highest paid head coach in college football. I mean, he was making a ton of money at TCU. Um, but it sounds like he has every intention to keep coaching and uh, wants to get back kind of on the mountaintop. If you think about what he accomplished there, taking them from, I, I remember in 2000. They won a Rose Bowl. I, I remember in 2007 getting recruited by TCU and going to see them play New Mexico and this is before the stadium had been renovated. They were still in the Mountain West. There were 15,000 people at the game. And to see what they became just while I was in college, we played in the Armed Forces Bowl against Air Force, which was in TCU Stadium. And he built that place. I mean, he built the – I think it's Amon G. Carter is the stadium. They All the, the uh, refresh on that stadium and everything that they poured into it and the resources – and getting buy-in, all of that is because of him. So the statue that's up out front is deserving and will be there forever, as it should be. But at some point, you think about, you know, Bobby Bowden a few years ago when he was, I guess this is a quite a few years ago now, but when he was, I just need one more. Just I, He kept asking for one more season, and you wait around, wait around, wait around, and that turned into a disaster towards the end. And that's the hard part of this business. I mean, at some point, coaches that are true legends of their programs, at some point, you got to part ways with them. And I think this was the time to do it. Well, I wonder what's next for Patterson because I, I, I think he's realistically got two options. He can take another uh, another head coaching job at a much lower profile school, and I would say, you know. Seth Luttrell at North Texas, probably on the hot seat. I, I would guess that Jake Spavital at Texas State, probably on the hot seat. And that might feel like a real step down to a guy like Gary Patterson, but I think that's what he'll need to do. Or he'll need to be a defensive coordinator at a, a name brand school. I Because I, I, I don't think he's going to get another Power 5 coaching job unless it's just like a, 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 a can't-win type situation, like a, a, a Kansas or a Duke or something like that. And I, I think he'd be better off at a small school and, and dominating a, a weaker conference for a while and maybe working his way back up. But what do you, what do you think is next for, for Gary Patterson? Yeah, I can't see him going to one of the first ones you mentioned because he, I think he's he's been around a higher level of football for too long. I think he'd wait a year or two. Uh, really a year after you get past two and especially three years, it's really hard for them to get back into it. I could see there's going to be a huge shuffling of the deck coming up in the next you know, six, seven weeks. And there are going to be some teams that are in that higher echelon of the mountain West and the American that I think those jobs come open. And I think that's what I could envision him stepping into where it's, it's not the big 12, it's not, it's not a power five conference, but it's something that, you know, it's one of the 
the better of the group of five conferences and at the higher end of those conferences. So I don't have one really off the top of my head. I think, you know, there's, there's a chance that the Cincinnati job comes open, but I, I don't think he gets offered that. Uh, but something that's has that type of prowess, I think would make sense for him. I, I could not see him going to a Texas state or a North Texas. I think he's, uh, I think he's got too much pride for that. Well, let, let's say a, a guy like, and I, I think like Texas, uh, being around Texas is, would be ideal for him. But let's say like a Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State, let's say he gets a, a bigger job, is like a place like Fresno or Nevada or something like that. Is that the kind of a place you could see Gary Patterson landing? Something like that. I, I'm thinking like uh, Brady Hoke's transition. I know Michigan is not the same as TCU, but uh, Brady Hoke going from Michigan to a San Diego State where San Diego State, shoot, they're in the playoff rankings right now. I mean, they're something like that, where it's a it's a program that still has the resources to compete at a high level and still, you know, every three or four years with the right team, still get ranked and have the chance to upset major teams. If you step down to the Conference USA, or, or really, you know, some of those teams would be the the bottom of what the new American would be. Does that really get Gary Patterson going? Maybe. I mean, maybe he. Uh, steps into that and wants to just be a head coach and that's what comes available. But there are going to be a ton of jobs that open up, I think in the next five or six, seven weeks. And he's a name. And a lot of times for ADs, that's all they need. You just, if you're trying to sell your boosters, it's a lot easier to sell somebody that's done it than the new up and comer or the new hot coordinator. Uh, and, And we've talked about that on here as well. But you would agree that he's not getting a job like as big as TCU, right? No, and I don't think he becomes a coordinator either. I think he, he goes straight back into being a head. Yeah, because someone said, "Well, what about Patterson to Texas Tech?" And I zero point zero percent chance of that. Like Texas Tech's going to want an offensive guy. There's there's no way that they and they would they would take a guy from who's basically like I, I still think Texas Tech wants to look at TCU as like a lesser team than them. And if you're taking their cast-offs, it's just not a good look. It's not something yeah. people are going to get behind. The, the other thing interesting for the state of Texas was Jeff Trailer and the amount of money that UTSA shelled out for him, 10-year, I think it was $28 million deal, and trying to lock him down, which really all it did was create a massive buyout for yeah. anybody that wants to come after him. You're going to have to pony up for it. So I think it buys them a couple years. They keep him there. I think at some point, if they keep winning, somebody, someone will write the check, but I don't think it's this year now. I, now I think they've bought themselves a little bit of time. The storyline that I've heard is start to brew that I, it would be a, it'd be so funny if it happened going across the city, but would be Dykes flipping over to TCU. I, I've, I mean, he's the name that, Makes a lot of sense for them. He also makes a lot of sense at Texas Tech and would be so funny for TCU fans to just reach over to Dallas and take their coach that's helped build them back up to a, to a ranked team. Yeah, although I still think Texas Tech's just such a clean fit because of what his dad did there. Uh, I, I think that the the entire like the entire fan base, the boosters, everybody would be behind that move. So it, that seems to make the most sense to me. But yeah, I mean that's the kind that is the kind of job that I think that that Dyke should be looking at. That's the kind of uh, TCU Texas Tech type job that's probably about the ceiling for him right now. Uh, and, and I think that's a, that's a good move. Uh, I, I still think there's some big name coaches to be fired. 
I, I think that Dan Mullen is getting more and more into the into the shit, if you will. I think he should just stop doing press conferences. I, that's probably the right move. I think Scott Frost, who I I kind of thought he'd cooled his seat off some this season, and now I'm the more the more we're going into it, I'm like, no, Scott Scott Frost is probably done, and that but that would just assume that Nebraska is willing to to pay because yeah, it's, and- it's it's not going to be cheap to get rid of him, but I think they're ready to move on and, and try something new. If I'm Nebraska, what do I know about Nebraska football? I know anybody that's listening to this that's a hardcore Nebraska football fan, that's the first thing you'd say. And there's probably some validity to that. However, Nebraska has not been relevant for 25 years, 20 years since Eric Crouch was there and won the Heisman. I mean, they had a couple of good seasons at the end of the big 12 run when Dominican Sue was there, but really national relevance. Yep. It's been few and far between for a long time. If you can't make it work with Scott Frost, who are you going to go get? They're, they're, these top names that are going to be available are looking at you in a way that you don't see yourself. If you think you're going to go get like a James Franklin or somebody, not that they, not that this name has even been thrown around for them, but who do you think, if you can't make it happen with a guy that took UCF, had them undefeated and on the knocking on the door of the college football playoff, that was a quarterback for you and knows the area and knows how to recruit, if you can't make it happen with him, who is it going to be? I, I don't know. That's, that's another program that the shuffling of the deck with a lot of these the, – the teams that were once upon a times – I think have to look in the mirror and realize if you fire a coach every three to four years, this is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think Scott Frost needs to get at a minimum one more season, probably longer. That I feel like that's a guy commit to and give him a full run because that's not a place that I think you want to get into the habit or stay in the habit really of hiring and firing guys after three years. I think I, I kind of feel the same way. But man, this is this is his fourth this is his fourth year, and by year four, if things are getting worse, that's a bad sign. And right now, things are getting worse. They're they are three and six, one and five in conference. Yeah, and like one of those three wins is over Fordham, so it doesn't even count. But one is over a MAC school, and one is over Northwestern. Their remaining schedule is Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. They're going to be three and nine, and, and it will be the worst season of the Scott Frost era. So if your worst season is in season four, do you really think it's getting better in season five or six? I, I, it's hard for me to believe that because now it, you're not cooking with somebody else's groceries anymore. These are the guys that Scott Frost chose, and they still stuck. I, I mean, it, it's one thing if you were like, you know, but you're, if you're losing to Michigan, Michigan State, okay. But they lost to Illinois. They lost to Purdue last week. I mean, they've they've just they're they're losing to the teams in the Big Ten that you can't lose to if, if you're Nebraska. Like there's if you're if you're the head coach at Nebraska, I'm not saying in 2021 I expect you to beat Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State, but I'm saying you, you can't lose to Illinois. You you can't lose to Purdue. You've got to be better than those, and they're just not. Yeah. Only other thing I would add on this that's interesting for places like Nebraska is how the NIL stuff impacts them. Because these kids, you're trying to go after four and five star recruits. They have the opportunity to make money in college. 
I think there's other places you can you can make a lot more money than you can in Lincoln, Nebraska. The flip side of that is, well, these are rabid fans if you're winning and you could be a king in Lincoln, Nebraska. But uh, I think you're going to have a hard time continuing to have a hard time recruiting against the SEC and, and the really the eastern part of the Big Ten for some of these bigger recruits. But um, You know, I get that. But then, then I, my counter argument to that would be, you know, Minnesota's in the top 25 right now. Uh, you know, yeah, it can be done. Wisconsin is is in the top twenty five right now. Like Iowa is has had sustained success, and they're in Des Moines, Iowa. Like Nebraska, being in Nebraska it can only be an excuse for so long. Because let's face it, but basically, name the the Big Ten school; they're all in the same place, except Ohio State and Wisconsin are in like actual real cities. Yeah, and Northwestern and Northwestern has even less success in Nebraska. So it's. I don't know. I don't know that that's even enough of an excuse anymore. I think at some point, Scott, like if Scott Frost isn't better than this by now, I don't know that he's going to be better than this. And this, listen, the truth is there's a lot of guys who are good coaches at places like central Florida. And then they get to a big boy conference and it's not the same. I look at Charlie strong, the same way I'm looking at Scott Frost. Like had you, would you have ever guessed in a million years, knowing what you knew about Charlie strong when he took the Texas job, that he would somehow have the Texas Longhorns losing more games than they won in a season. It just seemed impossible, yep. yet he well, did it. What I can say is that we've probably met our quota for the entire season for talking about Nebraska football. So kudos to us. I, I'll agree with you. All right, let, let's get into the good stuff. Let's get into the picks. And uh, last week was a strong week for you. Maybe the, the strongest of the season for you so far. Three and one on the se- on the uh, on the week. I was a lowly two and two. Uh, Pitt didn't show up for you. Um, they they lose outright. Ohio State barely showed up. Uh, didn't show up enough for me against Penn State. And then Iowa State losing to West Virginia. They lost outright as well. Uh, you won with Michigan State. You felt good about them. They won outright. Uh, Purdue plus seven and a half. They won outright against Nebraska. Rutgers getting to the window. I felt so disgusting about it. That worked out for us. And then we both hit our totals. You were under 65 on uh, FIU Marshall. I was over 62 on UNC Notre Dame. Those both got there easily. So that's where we're at uh, for the season. The yearly tallies, I'm at 26 points. You're at 22 points. If we if we were 50-50, we'd be at 21. So we're both over expectation for the year still. Let's get into our picks for the week. Let's start with the big games, the biggest games on the board. And let's start with a couple of SEC games. Let's start with Auburn catching four and a half points at Texas A&M. You know, this one to me is so interesting because Zach Calzada against Alabama looked superhuman. And I'm wondering if is that going to be as the season goes along? Is that just going to be a flash in the pan? I mean, will we see anything like that again? I think in this game for Auburn to have a chance, Bo Nix is going to have to have a performance like he did against LSU. And if he does that, I do think they have a real chance to win this game, but it is purely going to be on his shoulders. I think there's too many challenges that A&M presents this Auburn front and specifically in the run game that, if Bonix can't make plays happen off script, I don't think Auburn wins this game. And, and frankly, I think that it's probably a closer to a seven point loss. I think it's probably a, a touchdown, maybe more. But 
if Bo Nix is the good Bo Nix, which we don't tend to see on the road, I, I mentioned that LSU performance earlier in the year because he played out of his mind in that game. And that was really the last time I think we're going to see really inspired performance from the LSU defense. They were that night game, they were really trying. It gave a, a, an effort in that game, and he kind of willed them to win. If you get that version of Bo Nix, I think Auburn has a very good chance to win in this game. Uh, but that's what stands out to me is can AM force Bo Nix into turnovers that we typically see him make on the road? You know, I, I, I think people forget Bo Nix looked really good against Arkansas. He he completed eighty one percent of his passes against Arkansas, and that was that was his best game of the season, really. Uh, so I I think that maybe Bo Nix on the road. I think Bo Nix is really starting to figure some things out, and I think the smartest thing that's happened for Auburn is they've become more balanced on offense. And unlike last year, not everything is on Bo Nix. And Tank Bigsby's running the ball well. It's just opening a lot of things up, and I think that. I think one thing that's going to benefit Auburn here is that they've seen a defense like Texas A&M already. Like they, they went to Penn state, they played Georgia. They've seen top tier defenses. This it's not going to be shell shock for them to see this, this Texas A&M defense. And I think it kind of was for Alabama. I think everything was coming to Alabama real easy. And then they ran into the first wall that they, that was put up in front of them and it, and it threw them off. Zach Calzada played his best game of the season against Alabama, and kudos to to him for it. That that's a huge win for the program. It kept the season from spinning out of control. You would think, okay, maybe he's he's figured something out, but then his last two outings, he's looked like Zach Calzada again. He's playing against Mizzou and South Carolina, two of the worst defenses in the SEC. He's a fifty-one percent passer, one hundred and sixty-seven yards on average. And it just feels like it was, it was, I don't want to say it was a fluke, but it kind of felt like a fluke. He played his best game against the best team he'll ever play against, which is is really odd to say, but that's what happened. And I think that Bo Nix right now is playing the kind of ball that you expected out of him. And it just feels like, like Auburn is battle tested enough. I mean, They've they've played three teams who are at least as good as A and M in the last three weeks. They played Georgia, Arkansas, Mississippi back to back. I mean they are they are battle tested. They went to Penn State. They went to LSU at night when everything was supposed to go against them, and they won. I, I like this Auburn team. I, I think that they are better than what their record says they are. I, I mean, obviously, you know, it, losing to Georgia by twenty four points that that's going to happen. It's happened to everybody. Okay. Uh, I think if they played Penn State again right now, I, I think Auburn beats them. I think there was some questionable play calling in that game. But I, I think Auburn is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And I think what they did last week to Ole Miss kind of proved it. Like the fact that they were – they opened up as like a pick them, And then you saw the money start to come in on Auburn. And then they 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 really controlled that game. And it's an 11-point win. It felt like – they were more comfortable than that even. And, and Bo Nix rushing for a couple touchdowns, throwing for one. It just felt like he was in control of the game. And I still don't know if Zach Calzada doesn't have this miracle game against Alabama, where does their offense come from? And that's why I just can't count on Texas A&M right now. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those things. Again, I, I'm going back to if Bo Nix continues to do all the things that 
he's shown in the past few weeks of the season, really since rebounding against Georgia State. If he continues to play that way, Auburn's got a real chance to win this game. Expect A&M to run the ball. Auburn has given up over 200 on the ground against Georgia, Arkansas, and Georgia State. So expect A&M, especially early in the game, try and establish the run, try and win the point of attack. And if this turns into a slugfest, that's where I worry about Bo Nix forcing something. And and if A&M wins this game, they're going to have to turn the ball or turn Bo Nix over. But um, for entertainment value, I think this is going to be a great game and has huge implications for the West for the rest of the season. I mean, remember, Georgia State does nothing but run. Right. So, that, I mean, that's kind of like all of their yards are going to come. Arkansas is a very good running team. Georgia is going to – they Georgia does what they want, and they they obviously – they could run against Auburn, so they ran against Auburn. I, A&M is just so imbalanced offensively that it's hard for me to believe that – I mean, let, let's say they stack the box. Is Zach Calzada going to punish them? And I just I, – he hasn't, he hasn't punished anybody. He, he punished Alabama. It was the one time. But if you couldn't, he couldn't punish Missouri. There, there's real concerns with me about about that offense. So if you had to gun to head, you had to take a side. Where are you going? The over at fifty. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's take another look at the other game in the SEC that normally has a lot more intrigue, a lot more implications, and doesn't have a twenty-eight and a half point spread attached to it. LSU plus twenty-eight and a half at Alabama. Yeah, God. I- I mean, what do you say? They're they're four touchdown dogs. They had to send back their tickets. They LSU didn't fill out their allotment of tickets, so Alabama got them back. I mean, it's it's really sad, you know, to think about what LSU was at the end of nineteen and whatever happened after Ed O having to replenish his staff and in recruiting. I mean, the fall from grace has been pretty substantial and. Injuries haven't helped as well. Injuries, you know, a couple of the best corners in college football, both been banged up really across the board. Offensive line play for LSU, I think, is going to be really, uh, <laughs> how do I say this nice? Problematic. Yeah, problematic. Nice we'll call it problematic. I think Bama will have no problem getting after the quarterback, just bringing four. I don't think they're going to have to blitz much in this game. If LSU is going to cover this, I think it is it'll happen early in the game. They will have to have some sort of spirited first quarter, first half effort because I think this has the tendency this very easily could be a game that Bama jumps all over them and you look up at midway through the second corner and it's 17 to nothing and you think, well that, you know, that checks out. So, um I really just the more I dug into this, I thought this is bumming me out. Like LSU is so bad and they're four touchdown dogs to Bama two years after beating them at Alabama. Um, yeah, I just – this – talk about how entertaining I think Auburn and, Al, or Auburn and A&M would be. This would be the exact opposite. Yeah, you could argue that that Saban is going to look at this as an, as an opportunity to, to kick a rival while they're down. And in the last couple games since that A&M loss, you can tell they, they've been salty. Uh, Alabama's won by a combined 101-33 to against Tennessee and, and Mississippi State. And normally you'd say, yeah, well, this is LSU, but doesn't it feel like LSU's about on par with Tennessee and Mississippi State right now? I think that's about right. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. And then, okay, so that's fine. Here, here's my big concern for LSU. 
they put up 17 points against Ole Miss the last time out. You were talking about the 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 guys in the secondary being out. That doesn't explain why they were only able to, able to put up 17 against Ole Miss, who basically lets you walk into the end zone so they can get the ball and score again. Like, there's some real scary, concerning things about this LSU team right now. I will say I can't find the appetite to lay over four touchdowns against this team because obviously they've got a ton of talent. But I, there's no way I could put my money on LSU to suddenly just wake up and start playing football. I don't see it. So this this game's a total pass for me. Uh, it it feels like Alabama's going to do what they want, but at 28 and a half points, like I mean, one one slip up and and they covered that game. It's not it's not like they're playing, you know, Southern Miss here. This is a team that's got some real players. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I'm not touching this game. I'm not watching this game. I'll get the recap afterwards. This uh, this game does nothing for me. And and again, it's it has nothing to do with Bama. I think you touched on this with Saban. I think this has the potential not only to kick a rival when they're down, but also to try and solidify rankings. And I know Saban comes out and says, "Oh, they don't you know they don't really pay attention to that stuff. They're focused on winning each week, and it'll take care of itself." No, it, it, when they see that they're the number two team in the country. This is the type of week where if they come out and spank LSU by 35 points, everybody will say, well, see, that's why they're the number two team in the country. So, um, but yeah, again, as a, in terms of entertainment, I think it's like close to zero for me. I, I really, the only reason I would turn this game on is if I look up in like the third quarter and it's a one score game. Ooh, wait till we get to my picks for the day. I'm telling you, there's, this is way more watchable than most of those. Then what games. you're going to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do I do like this last game, and we, we usually cover the three biggest games of the week. This one I think is going to be fun. Wake Forest plus two and a half at North Carolina, and I feel like there's some real disrespect to Wake Forest here, and I, I get agree. North Carolina. They came into the season with a big name. We all expected them to contend this season, and myself included. I, I thought that they were going to be very good. I thought they had a chance to win the ACC. They are so bad on defense. Notre Dame, who – hasn't been able to run the ball all year. They ran for 298 yards and three touchdowns against them last week. And now you're going up against this Wake team that's very balanced offensively. They've scored 35 or more in every game this season. One of the craziest stats of the season, the 70 points that they put up against Army in just over 17 minutes time of possession – Wake is the highest graded offense per PFF that that North Carolina has seen all year. And North Carolina is one of the worst three defenses Wake has seen this season. So I don't believe this is a letdown spot because at any like Wake understands at this point any loss takes them out of the conversation that they want to be in. And I, Sam Hartman's outperformed Sam Howell in basically every metric this season. He, he's been the better quarterback, despite Sam Howell being like third in the Heisman odds coming into the season. Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman's better than him. I think this is a real opportunity. This would be the biggest win on on Wake Forest resume. I think they go out there and win this game outright. I do too. I, this one stunk to me really badly. And the, the more I look into it, the more I continue to think that Wake is the side in this game. There, you know, One of the things that I, I laughed at just a second ago looking back at my notes, I have uh, underlined and in all bold – they, North Carolina gave up 44 to Notre Dame. How do you give up 44 to Notre Dame? Um, there's two things. There's kind of two key points for this game that I think are storylines to watch. 
I'll start on the defensive side for North Carolina. They give up almost six yards a play. If you think about how bad that is for a power five defense and what was supposed to be a potential dark horse playoff team, they, I mean, this is a really bad defensive unit. And it's not just, well, they give up the explosives or they have one side or the other that between you know, uh, rush defense and, and the passing defense that struggles. It's across the board. They lose at the point of attack. They're pushed around fairly easily. If you're giving up six yards a play, you've got major flaws on defense. And that is what that Wake Forest hits their shot plays. They hit their explosive plays. So I don't know how many times North Carolina is going to get stops in this game. The other thing that concerns me for North Carolina, Wake Forest has four seventeen takeaways to this point in the season. Now, some games that ebbs and flows. You have some that you explode and you get three, four, five in a game, and that impacts these stats. But consistently, they turn over the other team. And for Sam Howell this season, already at seven interceptions on the year, and he had just seven all of last season, and over 100 more attempts last season at seven interceptions and already seven to this point in the season. So that's what concerns me for UNC is Wake is going to get theirs. And I just worry about at some point, North Carolina is going to screw this up on offense and give Wake another opportunity, almost like what you saw when Wake played Army. I mean, Wake knew they weren't going to stop Army running the ball, but they said, well, we're just going to continue. To, I mean, it was – yeah. that's still – I don't even think we touched on this, but that's the most – maybe the most unbelievable stat I've ever seen was 70 points scored in that game against Army and 17 minutes of time of possession. <laughs> that's the, that yeah. – that, clip should be put in the college football hall of fame as like the goofiest stat of all time. But uh, seriously though, against North Carolina, I don't know how many times they're going to get stops in that game. And Sam Howell is going to have to protect the football because if he gives it away to wake, that could be it. If this turns into a track meet. Yeah. And you, you know, you said, how do you give up 44 to, to Notre Dame? Like, I mean, I, I'd, I'd go next to how do you give up 45 to Miami? How do you give up 35 to Florida State? How do you give up 45 to Georgia Tech? Well, I'll tell you how. Your your defense is shitty. Yeah, the Georgia and, Tech is terrible. Yeah, and and this it, this Wake Forest offense probably besides Virginia is is the most explosive offense they'll have seen all year. And and Virginia sucks on defense. So they were they got into a track meet. I, Wake Forest is solid defensively. Like they they're not going to let you just go up and down the field. So you're asking me who's going to get more stops in this game. I'm telling you, it's Wake Forest. I, I feel actually pretty strongly about that. So that'll that'll find its way onto my betting card this week. All right, let's take a look at what we did last week. You go three and one, which is a, a one of your better performances of the season. You outperformed me certainly. I was two and two. Uh, Pitt screwed you over. Ohio State screwed me over. Iowa State screwed me over. Everything else looked good. Uh, Michigan State won outright for you as a dog. Purdue won outright for you as a dog. Rutgers even got to the window, believe it or not. As gross as that felt to, to pick Rutgers, they, they got the job done. You hit your under in the FIU Marshall game. I hit my over in the Notre Dame-North Carolina game. Shocker, uh, as we just discussed. The current standings, I'm at 26 points. You're at 22 Expectation is 21. So we're we're above expectation on the year. That that's where we want to be. We want to be in the in the black. Where are we starting this week? What's your three star? I am going to the desert, 
going to El Paso and fading a team that I've been uh, really been a fan of all season. I think it's a great story, but watched a little bit of their game last week against FAU. And man, I, I follow and call games in Conference USA and know quite a bit about the Roadrunners for UTSA. And on the flip side for UTEP, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up in this game. I know UTSA going to El Paso and and laying 11 is quite a bit for the road team. But I think UTSA is on a mission. I think they have a really good chance here on out to run the table and be undefeated all the way through Conference USA. I think they're probably – I think this line really should be closer to, to 13.5 or 14. Um, if this is played in San Antonio, I think it's probably closer to a three-touchdown difference. And – I, they are so much better on offense than UTEP is. I think they get theirs with Sincere McCormick and Frank Harris. And I just worry about UTEP being able to score on that defense and keeping up. Um, so I'm going to take UTSA minus 11. <sighs> You're probably right. I'd feel bad. I mean, UTEP's made me so much money this year that I feel bad even considering <laughs> betting against them. So I'll be sitting that one out, but you're, you're probably right. All right. I, I'll start with an ugly one. I don't think it's my ugliest one, but I'll start with an ugly one. North Texas minus four and a half at Southern Miss. And listen, North Texas sucks. You saw their game last week, right? You called their game? Had the game last week, yeah, for them. How'd they look to you? Um, they should have... They should have at least two more wins on the on the schedule than they do. They just can't get out of their own way. They're, they're a disaster. Uh... Here's the deal, though. This Southern Miss offense is it's it is literally a joke. They have a kid named Jake Lang. God bless him. I'm sorry if he listens to this. I hope he doesn't. He's a true freshman that's been forced to play the last four games, and he looks exactly how you would expect a true freshman going to to Southern Miss would look. He's been sacked 19 times in those four games, and his QBR is 15.6, and it's actually getting worse. The last two games, his QBR was three and a half and seven. Southern Miss got blown out last week by Middle Tennessee, who was also playing with a backup quarterback. This is PFF grade Southern Miss as the worst offensive team in the country by nearly five points. Like This is a dreadful, dreadful offense. North Texas has been competing. They finally got that win against Rice, got the monkey off their back. But they've been competing. They've they've covered four of their last five. They should have beat Liberty. Yeah, and Liberty's a good team. This North Texas team is better than their record says they are. This Southern Miss team is disastrously bad right now because of injuries to the quarterback position. I think North Texas makes it two wins in a row here. So I'm North Texas minus four and a half against Southern Miss. What do you think? I watched a lot of North Texas tape before the game last week, and it was amazing how many games. It should have beat La Tech earlier in the year and absolutely should have beat Liberty uh, two weeks ago. And I, I don't hate that at all. Also, I've watched quite a bit of Southern Miss, and I mean, I won't jump on the pile anymore. I, I, I'm with you on I'm with you on that. Um, I'll go to my, my two-star of the week out of the SEC, and I just think this is the – I think this is purely impacted by the fact that Mississippi State's on the road. I think they're the better team. I think what you've seen out of Arkansas, their last three SEC contests between Georgia, Ole Miss, and Auburn, I think is is about right for them. Um, 
Mississippi State as at plus five on the road at Arkansas. I, I think they win this game outright. And they've also proven, I know this was when Calzada was struggling for AM, but they've proven they can go into a hostile environment and beat a good team. Uh, well, I spent that entire open slamming Alabama losing to AM, and then I call them a good team. Um, but they showed the ability to go to Kyle Field and win on the road, which is a much tougher place to play than going to Arkansas, especially with Arkansas coming off a three-game SEC losing skid. So I'm taking Mississippi State plus five. I think they win this game outright. So I I would also consider putting a little bit on the money line here. Yeah, I'm interested to see how Arkansas responds because like where Arkansas's program was just a couple years ago where they couldn't win a game in the SEC, I don't think – I don't think this is the kind of team that's just going to fold up their tents. I think that the the coaching that they've got there now is is different. I'm not, and I I'm not saying that your your pick is off here. I just think that I, I feel like you're going to continue to see this Arkansas team fight to the end because it, I I think that what we saw early out of Arkansas was maybe more than what they really are. But I mean, you just said you named off the teams that they've lost to there's not a loss on there that you go, oof, that shouldn't happen. Like, I mean, Arkansas, they're, they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And, and maybe you could, you could argue maybe more than the teams they're supposed to beat, at least the teams they were supposed to beat coming into the season, uh, beating, beating Texas, beating A&M that's above expectation and like losing to Georgia and Ole Miss on the road and Ole Miss by one on the road, and then losing to Auburn, I don't, I don't know that there's like a, a bad data point there for them, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. This more to me really is it, – it's less about Arkansas and more about Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State, three out of their last four SEC wins with the loss being – they got their doors blown off against Alabama. But the win last week against Kentucky, I thought they looked strong there. And – for Arkansas, the way that they lost at home to Auburn, I think Auburn is a better team than Mississippi State. But um, sure, there, maybe there's a chance, obviously, Arkansas wins this game, but I think it's probably close. I think it's closer to a field goal. So if you're telling me I get five with Mississippi State, who I think is the better team between the two, I'll take Mississippi State in the five. And the scary thing about you, you said Mississippi State on the road winning at Kyle Field. Remember, they also lost at Memphis. Yeah, but that doesn't help my argument. Uh, which is. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay all right all right well, well let's, let's keep it simple then all right I'll go to uh to my next play which is probably the the uh I would call it the sexiest game uh, amongst my three uh I'll take Louisiana minus 12 against Georgia State and this feels kind of like a service academy game like where both these teams just run 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 uh, Louisiana is the the bet. Do we call them Louisiana or Louisiana Lafayette? I don't know. I, like I used to live in Lafayette, Louisiana. I always call them ULL, but they apparently went through. I didn't know this until recently that they went through all sorts of hoops to within the state of Louisiana lock down the fact that they are Louisiana. So apparently they want to be called that. I still call them ULL. Okay, because I, I I used my apartment was literally across the street from campus, and even then they'd get, they'd get mad that you'd call them ULL. They they wanted to be Louisiana, uh, but either way, for the intents of this podcast, we'll go with ULL because it's easier to say. But they've got the best run blocking grade in the country per PFF. They lead the country in EPA per rush. Georgia State 
not great against the run. 76th in rushing success rate allowed, and they're unlikely to have much success slowing down this this ULL uh, backfield. Meanwhile, Georgia State, they're they're great at running too, but they're up against his defense. It's 24th in success rate. They grade as the 19th best run D per PFF. Louis, the way to beat Louisiana is in the secondary, and Georgia State just has proven time and again that they can't throw the football. So I, I think this ends up being a smash spot for Louisiana. I think they run away from them late in this game, uh, and Georgia State isn't equipped to come from behind. Louisiana's offense is built to play with a lead and just snowball on you. So I'll go Louisiana or ULL, the Ragin' Cajuns, minus 12 at home against Georgia State. And it's a Thursday night game, which is great. Yep. Uh, I think that also helps on a short week when you're at home. The only concern I would have there is if Georgia State does run the ball somewhat effectively – and just keeps it close. I, I don't. I would be surprised if that happens. I really just looked at this. The fact that it's a, a short week at a place like ULL, I think, impacts it even more. I, I like that pick. Um, I am going with a team that is one and seven on the year against the spread and, and fading them again. I'm taking Louisville plus four at home against Clemson. And again, this goes back to what we've talked about this all year, and I've faded them a couple times. Uh, with picks so far this season, Clemson, I think, continues to get the benefit of the doubt because their name is Clemson, and they do have a top-10 defense. Their defense is very good, but they can't score on anyone. They They have no ability to attack the seams or the middle of the field. They still have some guys on the outsides. Their outside receivers still can win the 50-50 ball, but guess what? Defenses have become aware of this and the de- the style defense that Clemson is getting week in and week out has really not changed and they don't have an answer for it. And Louisville at home, this will be one of, if not the biggest game that they have in the back half of the schedule. I think they'll be motivated coming off the blown fourth quarter lead at NC State. And again, really this comes down to ULL, or sorry, ULL, Louisville home dog against Clemson, who I don't think can score on anyone. I'll take the Cardinals. The only thing that scares me is I looked up Louisville's – how they pass rush, and that's been the biggest problem for for Clemson is they, they can't they, – they're not giving DJ enough time to get rid of the ball. They're not, they, they don't have time to let things develop because their offensive line is so bad. And Louisville grades 121 out of 130 in pass rush on PFF. They they are not causing any pressure. They're not getting in the backfield. I, I, this, feels like a, uh, it, this feels like a game that I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I want to say they, I feel like Clemson's still overpriced, so I'm certainly not betting on Clemson. I just wonder – and by the way, it's the flukiest cover ever, maybe the worst bad beat of the year if you had Florida State plus the points. <laughs> Uh, or you had the under, maybe even more disastrous. It was so good. If you haven't watched it, go watch that play. It's why people gamble or why people don't gamble, whichever side you are on. It's probably why you shouldn't gamble. Uh, but, but this Louisville team is is they are not a team that's going to certainly run away from you. And if you let if you let if you let Clemson hang around, I could see Clemson winning this game by six seven points because Louisville's not going to be able to just you know, track meet these guys. Uh, but I guess that's the whole point of the line. Uh, I, I, if I had to make, if I had to play a side, I'd play your side. This is a game I'm scared to get involved with. Cause I'm not sure if Louisville has what it like has the recipe 
to keep this Clemson offense dead in the water like it has been most of the well, season. What's your what's your three star? Or your one star? My one star. Now this is what you love. You love that like I did with Rutgers last week. And I said, ugh, this feels gross. You know what feels gross? Taking old Dominion as a road favorite. Yeesh. Are they playing FIU? That's what I'm doing. Old Dominion minus two and a half at Florida yep. International. FIU, if if you didn't think they'd quit before on Butch Davis, last week let you know they've quit. Yeah, the big <laughs> goose egg in Huntington. They are still without an FBS win. The 38-0 loss was their worst loss of the season. And Old Dominion, they just got their first win. They they've been they've been in it their last several games. They're they're right there in it. You've been waiting and waiting for them to break through. They finally break through, and now they get a team that they they're honestly just better than. Uh, now I will say this: this is going to be one of the least fun games to watch all weekend. If you if you are someone who feels like you have to watch your action, don't bet on this game. This is going to be a terrible terrible game to watch. But I'll take Old Dominion minus two and a half for my one star play. I, you know, how I feel about them. I mean, that was my underpick last week, and that was the reason why <laughs> I didn't think. I, I think I said verbatim on here. I don't think they score against yeah. Marshall. And I mean, you've got Butch Davis skipping the post game presser, which the post game presser for FIU, God bless him, is like two beat writers, and he won't talk to them. So, um, yeah, I. Something else is going on there. I, I, I maybe it is just as simple as the teams quit, but um, man, you're at a huge school with a huge follower, uh, not huge following, huge student body in Miami in Conference USA, and you struggle to recruit there. I, that, you know, uh, I think that's another one that is probably, um, I would well, you know, I would say they move on from him, but at the way that their administration has handled the conference realignment stuff is kind of been a disaster too. So. Who knows what's going to happen there, but I, I like the pick. Um, All right, where are you going for your total? Yeah, total. I'm going with the over 54 and a half for Tulsa and Cincinnati. I think a big part of this um, is really going to come down to Cincinnati recognizing from here on out that style points are going to matter for them. I mean, think old school BCS. You better blow people's doors off if you want to get into the, the final two. That's the same thing for Cincinnati. They can't have any close wins. And I think they're going to try and put up as much as they possibly can. And Tulsa is a competent enough offense. They'll get you two or three scores of their own. But I think Cincinnati gets you most of the way there in this game. And uh, so I'll take the over at 54 and a half. You know what scares me about this is I've lost money the last two weeks betting on Cincinnati team totals over. They had gotten into a, a run, like they did it against Temple, they did it against Central Florida, just putting up like 50 spots on these teams. And I said, okay, they are, they're making a statement. And they, they played Navy, scored 27. What? Okay, it's Navy. Maybe it's, it's – you can look at that as just – It's a slow game. Yeah, but still, I mean, 27 20, – they almost lost to Navy. Okay, get right week, you play Tulane. Tulane lets everyone score 50. Cincinnati put up 31. Like it, it, Desmond Ritter is not playing good football right now. And that's that's the only thing that concerns me. It, if 
and only because that's been my handicap the last two weeks is they're going to go out here and they, they need style points and they've just been, been burned. Yeah. Uh, I'm going back to the Notre Dame over. Well, uh, it, it served me well last week. And part of that was North Carolina's incompetence, but uh, it's Notre Dame Navy. The totals 46 and a half. And in the last 10 years, these teams are averaging 64 points per game, over 64 points per game. And the Navy offense hasn't been great, but they're catching this defense at the right time. Notre Dame's coming off that shootout win against North Carolina. The last four games, Notre Dame's missed 10 tackles per game, over 10 tackles per game. The worst thing that can happen to you against Navy is you're a team that misses tackles. Uh, And another team I think that's looking for style points is Notre Dame. Um, playoff ranking matters to them still. They they don't believe they're out of it, especially if they think there's any chance Cincinnati's got a loss left. Notre Dame, if Cincinnati loses, trust me, Notre Dame is a team that that the the ranking committee will love to move up. They'd love to put Notre Dame ahead of Cincinnati. Uh, I, I expect them to keep pushing the offense in this game. So I, I think it's a pretty low number, 46 and a half. Navy, Notre Dame, I'll go over 46 and a half. What do you think? I think you're just like a glutton for punishment and you like watching, but I don't want to watch that game. <laughs> Every one of your picks is like, I, I do. I do not want to watch this. I mean, do you want to watch Clemson Louisville? I mean, let's be honest. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as you know, I say that, I, I say that and I just switched off from the Astros getting bludgeoned to watch uh, Eastern Michigan and Toledo for some action. So, you know, what do I know? <laughs> like you said, gluttons for punishment. All right. Well, there you go, guys. There's the picks. Hopefully we keep the train rolling. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. I know this is a long one. We had we had a lot of uh, conversation about the playoff. We'll probably have more conversation about it next week as things change and move around. That's, that's the big story these days in college football. Uh, but appreciate your listenership. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell a friend. Taylor, appreciate you, man. We will talk to you next week. Yeah, man. Same time next week. Yeah.